Welcome to DST Radio, where we feature best-in-class insight and opinion from thought leaders and practitioners in the healthcare industry to help you stay informed to make the best decisions. Well, hello and welcome, everybody. Happy New Year. Our guest today, talking about the role of accountable care in value-based delivery designs, is Adele Allison. As business solutions executive, Adele monitors industry trends and the impact of healthcare reform on the provider market and is a key leader in seeking innovative answers using health IT to optimize clinical, financial, and patient health outcomes. Having served as co-chair of the ONC Beacon EHR Vendor Affinity Group, Allison has more than 25 years of healthcare experience. She's been the guest speaker at dozens of national events, sharing her expertise on healthcare reform, population management, big data analytics. PCMH, Meaningful Use, ACOs, ICD-10, healthcare-related legislation, and other topics. A published author, Allison is a member of the University of Alabama at Birmingham, UAB Advisory Board, on curriculum development, and previously served on UAB's High Tech Committee for HIT curriculum development. Allison, welcome to the program. Thank you so much, Pete. Glad to be here. I want to start out by asking you about the rise of new provider communities. We're hearing a lot about this, uh, accountable care organizations under health care reform. Do you see this as merely a passing phase, or is this a trend? Well, you know, community-level measurement is actually a cornerstone of health care reform. Um, whether intended or not, the healthcare market is consolidating to produce community-based ecosystems. And if you think about it, this is kind of a natural trend. So I think it's here to stay. For the most part, care is delivered locally. There are all kinds of use cases for referral management and care transitions that are linked to a community of providers. If I live here in Birmingham, and if my internist says, Adele, you need, you know, you're turning into a solid and you need to go see a cardiologist, I'm not going to drive all the way to Atlanta to find that cardiologist. I'm going to find that in my local community. And so formal designs of these ecosystems, which is namely the Accountable Care Organization, um, have been leveraged under the Affordable Care Act so that it can offer CMS a model for Medicare beneficiaries to improve delivery of care through tightly integrated, technically enabled um, communities, ACOs. Now, according to a health affairs article that was issued back when we signed the Affordable Care Act in March of 2010, uh, there were only 10 ACOs at that time. So it does predate health care reform, this model of care delivery. But that number grew to over 150 private sector ACOs prior to CMS even starting their contracting in 2012. And in the four years post-Affordable Care Act, that number, the number of ACOs has grown to over 720. And CMS has just recently announced this month they're adding another almost 90 ACOs to their uh, contracted uh, model. So they'll have over 400 of them contracted. Uh, so that's going to leave, you know, well over 400 that are contracted governmentally and according to a report by Leavitt Partners, about 210 that are now contracting with commercial payers and about 74, 75 that are contracting with both. And to give you perspective about the number of lives these ACOs are impacting, there's an estimated 
20 million, um, over 20 million, almost 21 million lives that are covered by an ACO. Um, and somewhere between 46 and 52 million patients that are served by ACO providers, if you include those that the ACO is not formally at risk for uh, taking care of. So um, it's a lot. And I do think that this trend is here to stay. It's really about coming together and orchestrating care, delivering kinship with your fellow providers so that you can succeed as an organization or a community instead of delivering care in a total vacuum where I'm only focused on an individual component piece of that care delivery system. Adele, what role does health IT play in these growing ecosystems? Well, Pete, it's the backbone. Um, technology can really serve as the change agent, a way to shift the care delivery model from one where we have episodic care today um, to one that focuses on wellness and prevention and chronic disease management tomorrow. So be it the health plan that's uh, in partnership with the providers or the provider organization directly, technology is crucial to uh, building a care management design that can stratify the risks associated with all of the patients it's responsible for and manage that care as a total population. Now, just to give you an example of this, um, population health informatics offers a tremendous opportunity for improving the quality and lowering costs. It's the linchpin of value-based purchasing and accountable care design. Um, and when you, when you think about the fact that, according to an article by JAMA, um, chronic, chronic disease impacts around 46% of our population, and it accounts for almost 84% of the overall costs of healthcare in our country, um, and you've got about 6% of your insured population that spends about 50% of your health care dollars. Now, if you leverage that data, um, you can create patient-level clinical profiles to identify the patients in the care gaps, these frequent flyers so that you can manage appropriate access to care, such as patients that are using the emergency room like a clinic. I don't know if you've seen the billboards, Pete, where they – advertise only a 30-minute wait time in my emergency room, an ER is a very expensive clinic. And so that's not an appropriate level of care, and it's those types of things that drain our system. So if we can pinpoint those things through data and technology, those uh, members, those patients can be proactively managed using computer-assisted outreach, case management, and other types of, of intervention. We can shift that to a more cost-appropriate quality level of care delivery, which will improve the health of the overall patient and uh, lower the cost that we're spending today. Now, DST offers two strong products that can produce incredible cost arbitrage through analysis and case management to do just what I'm talking about. And what are those products? Um, they are Care Analyzer and Care Connect. Care Analyzer to identify, you know, where do I have the problem, who are my problem patients, and Care Connect allows us to manage those patients so that we can deliver a higher quality product or care delivery at a lower cost. Now, you did talk about risk stratification. Why do you see that as an important attribute under healthcare reform? 
Well, under the Affordable Care Act, a community of providers is really afforded the opportunity to come together to manage the care of a patient as a team instead of the traditional model that we saw under insurance companies that were created under the Clinton administration with the traditional HMO type of model. Um, done right, this model of care delivery just creates tremendous value, and it's a strong contender to accept risk-based contracts or even better, to offer their own health plan as a community or Medicare Advantage plan. But if they do this, this means the community has to be able to fully manage patient risk. And to do so, you have to have strong population health informatics. Now, electronic health records have really seen their surge under recent legislation, namely high-tech and meaningful use. And, they, and it offers, EHR offers an outstanding health IT for individual practice level assistance and alerting, but we have to think bigger than that. Population health has to be managed globally, kind of in aggregate across the provider community, not just on a practice-by-practice -practice basis. And this is where what DST has developed in, collusions, in collusion with uh, John Hop, Johns Hopkins has created a distinguishable opportunity. Um, DST has had a long-standing collaborative relationship among thought leaders at Johns Hopkins, and they have produced um, state-of-the-art what they call adjusted clinical groups, ACGs. Um, ACGs allow patients to be grouped and managed based on a collection of problems or diagnoses. They call that comorbidities. So instead of just managing a patient on an individual disease, like I would manage you just on diabetes or just on your congestive heart failure, those things, if you have both of those conditions, um, they impact each other. And that's what ACGs do. Now, roughly one in four American adults and two-thirds of your Medicare recipients have multiple chronic conditions at the same time. So the interaction of these multiple conditions can affect the appropriate care guidelines of managing that patient holistically. Now, when we incorporate that into technology, which is what we've done at DST, these ACGs facilitate a true person-focused assessment of risk when you're managing entire populations, which is what an accountable care organization is responsible for. Now, these groupers are so innovative that they've been adopted by 14 other countries beyond the U.S. as a more effective means of managing care. But it's through its collaboration with Johns Hopkins that DST has embedded these um, ACGs in its analysis and predictive modeling technologies. And so using these tools, a true case mix of the aggregated patient population can be recognized in terms of the patient's individual disease burden uh, to the ACO so that you have a fair, cost-effective distribution of what can often be limited healthcare resources. Um, and then we give you the tools so that you can case manage for those populations. Uh, and so you, you combine all these technologies, I like to call it the technology trifecta, and what that does is stabilize your risk, it improves the patient's care, um, by identifying your high-risk patients, locating care gaps in treatment, forecasting utilization, and then case management through, uh, as we like to say in the South, bird-dogging the patient to make sure they're adhering to uh, evidence-based guidelines. It's just um, real value-based operations.
I like the analogy to bird dogging. But can you provide an example of how the use of such technology can create cost arbitrage in chronic care? Of, of course. So, like, you know, diabetes is everywhere, right? So let's take a look at that. Now, uh, there are statistical reports that are issued by a, you know, branch of the federal government under uh, Health and Human Services called ARC. They have, like, it's called the H-Cup. And they issued their report in 2013, and uh, it was related to the total hospital costs for preventable admissions that were linked to um, uh, diabetes. And they showed an increase of almost 12% over a six-year period of time from 2005 to 2010, um, which was an increase in billions of dollars in cost, over, you know, $1.3 billion increase in cost. These are preventable admissions. And the greatest line item was short-term diabetes complications, 32% increase over that period of time. Now, there are several evidence-based guidelines uh, that the American Diabetes Association puts out there on how to, you know, manage a diabetic patient because it's when your diabetes is out of control that it creates uh, complications. So rather than treating you when you have the heart attack, which is episodic reactive care, Let's manage your diabetes in such a way that you're not at risk for having that heart attack. Now, not only is that better care for you, heart attacks are expensive. And so if we put these evidence-based guidelines into practice, like performing an A1C at least twice a year for patients who are stable or quarterly if you're not a stable patient, you can't put those snicker bars down, um, so that we keep a closer eye on you and have those prayer meetings on a regular basis uh, on what you need to be doing to take care of yourself. Now, close monitoring of a patient population through Technology is just simply good medicine, but it can have a huge impact on preventable complications that lead to hospital admissions and readmissions. Um, those that are in a community who have adopted EHR technology can leverage that internal decision-making support for appropriate guidelines, but like I said, let's think bigger than that. Let's think about managing across the entire community. What we can do here at DST is identify patients within the community, regardless of who their provider is, that need that care management intervention, and then engage the provider through heightening their awareness to these care gaps, and then also profile those uh, providers so that we can evaluate our network as a community to know just who is really making a difference. Now, the result, if you do these types of things, according to the Journal of Managed Care and Specialty Pharmacy, if you improve the, the control of an A1C blood pressure and lipid levels of diabetic patients, the quality of care for patients becomes greatly improved through reductions in their um, complications. And it, it can be as much as 43 to 67% among your commercial patient populations and anywhere from 28 to almost 50% in your Medicare population. And when we look at the cost, not only, like I said, keeping you from having that heart attack, but when we look at the reduction those in the reduced complications from a cost perspective, that's almost $67 or $100, over $100 per patient per month among your commercial payers and almost $100 to $160 
per Medicare beneficiary per month or around 10% reduction in total cost. Now, that's real value, and that's what we have to strive to do under health care reform. All right. Our guest is Adele Allison, and we're talking about the role of accountable care and value-based delivery designs on the podcast today. Adele, what can providers do to position for success? Well, it, it, it all comes down to, uh, you know, we're moving into this age of electronification through electronic health records, and providers have to touch that computer. And a lot of providers are used to uh, putting their information out there in, like, uh, dictation transcription, and I think that's fine. So the thing that I would um, encourage providers to do so that they can position themselves um, for the future is really do a great job of improving their structured data capture. When you um, put information into a computer, there are a number of ways you can do it. There's essentially three ways that I can put information into a machine, so to speak. One is narrative text. So for that provider that does that dictation transcription, you know, you, there are technologies out there like uh, voice recognition or I can type, you know, do my keyboarding. And, and I, there is an upside for that because as a patient, I'm a human being. So if everything is structured, everybody looks exactly the same. And I think something can be lost without a narrative component to the note. But when we think about reporting and triggering and analysis and interoperability of data, um, narrative text is not conducive to that because machines typically just cannot read that. It looks at that as a string of characters, and so it doesn't know how to put that into a reporting format for research purposes or data interoperability. The next type of data entry I can um, do is what I would refer to as structured data, but it's user-defined. And, and the best example I can think of this is like appointment types. So um, if I have a clinic, I may say there's five different types of appointments we can schedule, a consult, a recheck, a new patient, um, you know, pain management, whatever. But, and so because it's structured, everybody can only pick one of those five choices. I can run a report to say how many consults did we have over a new patient because it's structured. But the, what I've defined as my structured values and what you define at your clinic may not be the same. So it's not necessarily conducive to aggregated research, trending, interoperability of data. And that's where the last type of information I can put into a computer comes into play. And we refer to that in tech speak as object-oriented codified data. Now, the most fundamental uh, illustration of this is when people file claims. And when you file a claim, you have demographic information on that claim, and you have the standardized codified answer to two questions. What did you do? And everybody answers that with a procedure code. And why did you do it? And we answer that question with a diagnosis code. And everyone says it exactly the same way. So if I went to any office, any health plan, any research lab, and I said, what is a 250.00? Everyone in healthcare that deals with the business of medicine knows that that is a codified ICD-9 for diabetes. They know that. Um, and there are new vocabularies like that that are starting to emerge with the advent of electronic health records. So the more we can capture data in that uniform 
widely used structure, the more uh, positioned we are to uh, succeed. And they use this information to do what they call case mix adjusting. So if I'm going to shift my risk to you as a provider, I'm gauging just how sick I think that patient is that you've got to take care of. So if you tell me a non-specific code, and this is where it really comes into play, that's a ICD-9 um, is just a great place, or the ICD-10 changeover even better, to start with this codified data capture. If, if you tell me you just have a boilerplate diabetic patient, um, and I actually pulled these numbers from my local blues plan, a 250.0, maybe I'm coming in to see you today for a cough, oh, yeah, you have diabetes. So you put this nonspecific diabetes code on there. What providers don't realize is that um, when, they, when they're sending in claims, you are actually reporting data to the people that pay you. And, and most providers think of their claims management as a means to getting paid. That's true. But you are actually, when you submit a claim, you're reporting data to the person that pays you. And they use that data to do this case mix adjusting. So if, if you put on there that you have a boilerplate diabetic, a 250.00, um, Blue Cross of, uh, in my local market estimates the total cost of care for that contract year for that patient, that's the risk, that's what they're going to have to pay out to be about $1,400. But if in actuality I've got a patient that has diabetes and they've got some type of renal problem or, or peripheral circulatory manifestation, they're a 250.4X or a 7X, dot 7X, the difference in what they estimate the cost is going to be for that patient it goes up from $1,400 to almost $4,400, almost a $3,000 increase. Now, if I'm going to give you a payment and say that patient is yours to care for and here's all the money you're going to get and you're telling me that they're a boilerplate uh, diabetic, you're not going to be adequately compensated to take care of that patient. So data is everything moving forward in this new age under healthcare reform. And so that's the the strongest advice I can give to the provider community, give good data. Don't be nonspecific. And your advice is much appreciated. Adele, it's been a pleasure. I hope we all have a great day and a great new year. I'm Pete Conencamp. Thank you for listening to DST Radio. For more information or questions, you can contact DST Health Solutions at 800 800- 272-4799 or email us at marketing at dsthealthsolutions.com.